0: Welcome to the Schools and Academies Show podcast. This episode was recorded at the Schools and Academies Show in Birmingham on 13th and 14th November 2019. Don't forget to register for your free place at our upcoming show on www.schoolsandacademiesshow.co.uk. Hello everyone. Uh, My name's Helena Brothwell. I work for the David Ross Education Trust, and I joined DRET in July. And uh, we are tasked with driving school improvement rapidly across 11 of our secondary schools. And one of the main reasons why um, we need to focus really carefully on inclusion is because it's it's a passion of ours. Uh, We firmly believe that. You can, um, you can really tell uh, what a school is like if you look at how it serves its most vulnerable pupils. So we're looking at school culture and we're looking at how to make sure that systems and processes within school drive school improvement, support our teachers, but really importantly, support our most vulnerable pupils. It is those children that we should be thinking about when we're designing Systems and processes in our schools, and we're talking about school culture. So, the questions we have to ask ourselves if we're going to attend to what we value and we really passionately believe in inclusion, and we believe that we should serve the absolute best possible um, educational experience for those vulnerable students, then it is really important that we give that our attention, and we've consciously tried to do so at David Ross Education Trust, and we've given it real attention and time. If we think about our most vulnerable pupils, and I'm talking students who are eligible for pupil premium, students who have additional needs, we know that there can be some common features for those students that we need to be mindful of. We believe that these are some of the key features that we need to be mindful of when we're planning our school culture. If we assume that some of our children have some of these uh, challenges that they walk through the doors with then we must attend to that and we must give our attention to that. Students who've experienced a lack of boundaries, whether at primary or a previous school setting or at home, students who experience sensory difficulties or differences, trouble understanding social cues, you will know children in your schools that have some of these challenges. And it's been a really key focus of all of the, uh, the systems that we've driven through our trust and our secondary schools as a whole that we pay attention to these children. So we have those children in mind when we're planning our whole school interventions and our whole school improvement strategy. You might have heard concepts such as warm strict, knowledge rich curriculum and those things have been um, taken and, and these connotations that are not, not don't embody inclusion automatically. And I think what I'd like to do this morning is just to challenge that, really, because some of the things that I've just spoken about, some of the challenges that our students face and our most vulnerable children struggle with, when you talk about in, instilling routines in a school culture, it's these children that we're doing it for. We need to consider what corridors look like for our most vulnerable children. If you've ever done a pupil pursuit and you've ever followed a child around the school day and you know what it feels like to walk in Mrs Jones' class, and Mrs Jones likes you to walk straight in, stand behind your chair in silence, and then next lesson it's science and you go to Mr Bloggs and he likes you to stand and line up outside in silence. And then you go to third lesson and it's drama and it's, I don't know, somebody really cool, Mr. Smith, and he's dead cool and you can go in, you can sit where you like. That's quite a lot of cognitive load for children to to have to cope with. And particularly, you think about your transition students, whether that's new into school from another school or new in from Key Stage 2, that is quite a lot of challenge. We wonder why our Year 7s have a huge dip when they join us at secondary Well, actually, it's not that difficult to work out because there's such a lot of challenge that they have to overcome. So what we try to do in some of our school improvement strategies have been to try and reduce some of this cognitive load for children. So, for example, across our schools, we ask school leaders to design for their school a structure, an entry and exit protocol so that every teacher expects their children to enter the classroom in the same way. And that's the simple thing. And I know some people might think that that's taking away teacher autonomy, but actually we need to remember who we're doing it for. This is not not for the teacher's benefit, this is for our most vulnerable children's benefit. And actually there's a whole story around how it supports your most vulnerable, least experienced teachers also. Across DRET, we've asked school leaders to design protocols and routines within schools that support our most vulnerable children. We also get right behind explicit instruction as a teaching pedagogy strategy. We believe that assuming children walk through the door with lots of cultural capital and lots of foundational knowledge is a mistake in some cases. And it's a mistake for our most vulnerable children because assuming that they have that, um, they don't have any knowledge deficit and that they're getting a really rich experience outside of us, whether at primary or at home, can be an assumption that's an assumption too far. And it usually most affects these children that we're talking about today. So explicit instructions, we really believe in that. It's really important that we are very clear with our students. We're very thorough and we're very clear with what we mean. Consistent expectations, so the behavior system is the same across the school. The reward system is the same across the school. Children won't be told off for turning around in one classroom but not in another, or wear earphones in one lesson, not in another. You know, the rules are very clear and consistent, because actually, if we go back to the children that we're talking about, these are some of the things that they really struggle with. A lack of boundaries is very, very challenging for some of our most vulnerable children. What does that mean? What is it you want from me? All I want to do is please you, but I don't understand what you want. Okay, so... We have a strong investment at DRET in cultural capital investment, so sports, arts, um, lots and lots of performance. Um, that's a real drive for us, and actually, that's something that we believe passionately about, that we can offer almost as good as a private school sector, um, because it's really important for our children, and it strongly supports our most vulnerable children, because we know, actually, that you know, academic performance is really important, but what's also important is what wraps around that. Having experience of music, art, drama, performance is really important. And of course, sport. So DRET is, a, you know, is a, a bit of a leader in this, in my view. I've worked in other multi-academy trusts where there isn't that investment. And it's really lovely to have um, students who can you know, learn an instrument just as an assumption. That is something that they can just do. And we talk about our knowledge-rich curriculum, which we're developing at the moment, And all that means really is that, as I say, we invest in um, making sure that we don't make assumptions about what children already know. We treat them as if they have walked through the door and everybody has a blank canvas and we can go from there. And then actually what we don't do is we don't um, advantage some children and disadvantage others. We just advantage everybody. And depending on their starting point, obviously we go from there. Daisy Christadula, if you've not heard of her, she's brilliant, look this up, just Google Minding the Knowledge Gap, Um, but she um, wrote a book called The Seven Myths of Education, and it was a bit of a turning point for us as a trust. She talked about the fact that when we're talking about and thinking about children who are eligible for pupil premium, we can make assumptions that actually they are also low ability, and they might be low attaining when they arrive. But that can often be simply because they have that knowledge deficit, that it is our responsibility and our imperative that we fill. So rather than treating our pupil premium children like they are low ability by, you know, by proxy, actually we need to understand why that might be the case, and there are things that we can do. I talked about consistency um, being a superpower, but actually, if you design your school culture around calm, we know... You know, how does it, how does it, how, what do we need in place to feel calm? We need to know what's about to happen. We need to know what's expected of us. We need to be really feeling safe. If we want our children to feel calm in school, then there are things that we need to, you know, backtrack from that. What needs to be in place? How do we make days predictable? How do we make expectations really explicit? for all of our children, so there is no confusion or ambiguity about what you want versus what the teacher next door wants. We've tried to do that as a multi-academy trust without taking away the in, you know, individuality of schools. So we ask school leaders to be very clear with students and staff. What is it that you want children to do? How do you want them to behave in the corridor? What does that look like? Tell me. And, you know Write it down. What does it look like in the dining hall? What does it look like if you challenge a child? What should that look like? So we're pretty explicit. We talk to school leaders, and our school leaders deliver training and um, and support for our students. Things like we expect students to say sorry. So if we challenge a child in a classroom, their only response should be, sorry, miss, sorry, sir, and we all move on. There may be a consequence and there may be that that child wants to actually fight his corner or her corner later on and have a word and say, actually, I don't think that was fair, but it isn't appropriate at the time. So it's really important that we we explain to children that's the expectation. And then you walk around our schools and if we have to challenge a child about their shirt being out, sorry, miss, put it straight in. And everybody, you know, it's a bit calmer. Children find it very comforting that they know what you're going to say and they know what you expect of them back. And that can be really important for creating a calm environment. We want it to be predictable. We want them to feel safe. We want them to know that nobody's going to shout. No one's going to have expectations that they don't quite understand. That's really important. So what questions should we be asking school leaders to make sure that we are considering and attending to our most vulnerable pupils? I think these are where I would start. Down the bottom, i talk here about social norms. If you're going to see Tom Bennett later, you'll, you'll hear lots about this. There are social norms in every school, and if we don't design them, then they get designed for us by the school community. And that can be a brilliant thing, or it can be a not-so-brilliant thing. So, for example, we imagine a child in Year 7 walking into the dining hall on the first day of school. What are the social norms that occur in your dining halls? So, for example, do they go in, put their bag down at a chair, then go and queue up? Is, it, is there an expectation that everybody sits down? Is there an expectation that people are quieter because it's a dining space? What are the social norms that your children assume and experience when they walk in? Because we might not always have designed these. And, it, and I think part of Tom's talk later is that he talks about consciously crafting all of these social norms and taking time over it. I think about our children with ASD, our children who um, are you know, coming with challenging challenges, and I look at our dining halls across our schools, and I consider actually whether I w- that child's going to feel safe in that environment. And it's really, really important that we do that. So we are quite strict about things like sitting down. Because actually, children need to know what's expected of them. And then it feels calmer and children can, you know, chat. We have a no phones. Phones are, are, you know, a real issue for me in schools. I think that, you know, it, it's not supportive and it certainly doesn't support these children. And how does your curriculum take account of the knowledge deficit that we can assume they walk in with, some of these children will walk in with, for a variety of reasons? Are we making sure that we are filling in the gaps and that we've really consciously considered how our curriculum is sequenced to make sure that we catch up anybody that's got you know, those gaps in there and the foundational knowledge that we know they're going to need. Have, uh, have our heads of department really considered what's important that children know by the end of year seven, by the end of year eight, and how what they know in year seven builds then in year eight and nine. Just want to come to point three. Do your teachers spend time appeasing poor behaviour in classrooms? And if they do, and if your school system is designed around the boisterous, noisier child, we must consider, you know, so for example, if a school system is designed around that child, you've all got one in your mind right now, I'm sure. If your school system is designed around them, then you've probably got heavy duty on call systems. You've got a curriculum where, uh, or a pedagogical style where teachers are Um, encouraged to make things really engaging with games and real-life application, and let's make it relevant for this child. Actually, I think for, for us at David Ross and for, you know, if we're considering inclusion and we're thinking about our most vulnerable children, it's those that we should be considering when we design our systems. Clarity, really, really clear expectations, and the same everywhere they go. But also, we don't have our staff appeasing naughty behaviour and tolerating that in a classroom because we know that the children who are vulnerable in that classroom cannot access that education with lots and lots of noise and disruption and people chatting. I sat at a conference recently. um, I was listening to Oliver Caviglioli. If you've never heard him, he's really, really difficult. It's really challenging, complex um, ideas. And two people behind me were having a conversation. And I was absolutely furious because I couldn't. It was such a cognitive strain for me to have to listen to that and, and try and concentrate on him. And we expect our most vulnerable children to put up with that a lot, I think. And we must consider that. So our behaviour systems are very, very clear. But children are you know, removed from a classroom on the third warning because it's really important that our children who are vulnerable are protected and that their learning time is protected and it cannot be taken up by so much of of the other focus. How do students know how they should behave in your school? I'll show you how we try and do that. So our approach is, we do use the words warm strict because we believe that at the same time as you are warm, you are also strict and by that we mean you have really high expectations for children but the warm is extremely important. We don't need to be shouting or telling people off or looking really cross. We can just do that through, no, this is the expectation we have of you because we care and because you really matter and your education matters. We do go overboard probably on routines. We don't think it's overboard, but some people do. For example, desk layout in a classroom, that's, that's the same everywhere. Exercise book, knowledge organizer, planner, pencil case. Children know what to do, they know what's expected of them and that means that everybody's prepared and the classroom entry is really brisk, really sharp and no time's wasted. But also our most vulnerable children know exactly what to do when they walk in a room in our schools, any of our schools, it's clear. Protocol in the dining hall, seating plans are really important um, and classroom consequences and rewards and classroom removal is really clear. So children know what's okay and what's not okay, and that's really important. And we've taken a lot of time to deliberately craft our culture. This is one of the ha- schools that we, um, we have in uh, David Ross Education Trust, and we have a handbook for staff which goes through all this. So each school has their own, because no, you know, the schools aren't just the same. Each school has their own handbook, but it talks to staff about what's really important being really thorough and challenging the little things so that we are really attaining, attending to our most vulnerable children and we're not letting things slide that will, that will um, damage their educational experience, like the culture in the dining hall, for example. Do you have children who have to go to the library at dinner time to eat their dinner because it's too too chaotic in the dining hall? You know, I would say that's, that's not supporting our most vulnerable children. We need to work harder on that. So this is our vision, and this goes across the trust uh, for the secondary schools, but it's really important. And I think, you know, for me, it is challenging that perception that having high standards and inclusion can't match together. They can't be in the same, embodied in the same vision. And I, I absolutely challenge that whole perception because if we don't have really high expectations of even our most vulnerable children and expect the most from them, then, you know, that we actually really let them down. And I think, um, you know, for us, we've done a lot of soul searching about how we're supporting our children and we want to put them at the forefront of what we do. Thank you. Don't forget to register for your free place at our upcoming show on www.schoolsandacademysshow.co.uk.